player commenting on the same sport he was playing at the same time, which I don't think there's an army of those people around. I don't want to go completely down the Chuck Saban rabbit hole because what that really means is, hey, we need to talk about the big sky for two hours. Um, there's a couple guys that have, have announced um, since this decision that they are going to be leaving Idaho, which I think that's the next big exciting hire this university has to make. Tribe from the North, brave and bold, welcome to Tubbs at the Club, the official, unofficial podcast of your University of Idaho Vandals. On today's episode, we have an interview. Now, we start the interview with Sean Kramer, godfather of Tubbs at the Club. He's he's in South Korea. He had internet issues, so you're going to hear him for about 30 seconds or so, and then it cuts out. But the rest of the show is me, your host, Brian. And Alex Boatman, friend of the pod from the Kicking It podcast, we go over the ins and outs of everything relating to the Don Verlin news. And as a cliff notes, Don Verlin is no longer the University of Idaho's men's basketball coach. We go over the background of what happened and when in Verlin losing his job. We go over all the implications both short-term and long-term, of what this means to the University of Idaho. So if you are looking for any avenue of this news about Don Ver- Verlin, if you want to know anything that could that you could understand, we explore the entire realm. We, in, we explore the ins and outs. We talk about administration, both coming and going. So make sure you want to be an expert on what happened with Don Verlin. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. Uh, today, to go over the news of the, of the Don Verlin firing, what that should mean for the Vandals today, what that might mean for us in the next few years, we have a couple guests. Uh, so first, a friend of the pod from the Kicking It podcast, the 208's most famous long snapper, Alex Boatman. How's it going? Glad to have you here, Alex. Love being on. Thanks for having me. Flying in all the way from South Korea, first class for sure. We have the founder of Tubs at the Club, the website, the godfather, Sean Kramer. How's it going? Glad to be back. And I'm glad to have both you guys, because uh, between all three of us, I'm pretty sure we're going to cover just about every response uh, an average fan could have to the news. Uh, and bef- just to bracket our conversation, I'm going to go over a quick timeline of what happened in relation to Don Verlin and when, and now all the information I'm about to go over, all the facts that come from spokesman review reporter, Peter Harriman. So none of this is from, none of this is speculation. None of this is message board fodder. This is all information that's been verified and fact-checked journalistically. So to start, May 24th, 2019, University of Idaho announces Don Verlin was placed on administrative leave for, for three potential NCAA violations. The violations were discovered through a review conducted by the legal firm Ice Miller, and the three violations were all self-reported from the university as a result of the report. Now, the three violations included in Ice Miller, they're ranked on a scale of one to four. All NC2A violations are ranked on a scale of one to four, one being the most serious, kind of like first-degree murder, and four being the least serious. Our first violation... Uh, it took place when recruit 
and current uh, Vandal commit, Eric Mireri, and forgive me if I got your name wrong, I haven't heard an announcer say it yet. As part of his official visit to the University of Idaho, he played in a pickup game without having completed a required medical test and, or without having a waiver signed and submitted that made that medical test unnecessary. During the time that Eric Mary played, coaches watched, which made this, when you factor in the incomplete paperwork, an impermissible player evaluation based off the NC2A bylaws. This was deemed a level three offense. So uh, not it's a meaningful offense, but not a level one or level two. The second violation, initially reported uh, by the spokesman review, cited Stephen Madison uh, as a graduate assistant taking part in practices, but in later reporting, Brooks Malm, a basketball team manager from 2015-2017, and then director of player development from 2017 to 2019, is the, the individual cited as having taken part in practice activities with the team uh, while also taking part in sideline activities during games. His specific activities were holding up play cards. Uh, this was considered a violation because Brooks Malm, was, he was not a coach. He had a role with the team, but the roles of the coach based off NCAA bylaws are specific, and Brooks Malm was not a coach. This was considered a level two offense. Um, and by the way, just, just to make it clear, we re I referenced Stephen Madison. Even if there's any confusion about, like, did it matter if it was Brooks' mom or if it was Stephen Madison, for our purposes, that doesn't necessarily matter because neither were coaches. So both would – whoever the person actually was, and I'm only saying this because reporting is a little bit conflicted, it doesn't matter which of those guys it truly was. Neither of them was a coach. This was considered a level two offense. This is the highest cited offense. The – Third offense was so redacted that reporting is essentially not possible uh, to do on this violation. Although based off what the spokesman review has said is it sounds like it was a little bit more procedural and that this is less of an issue than the first two cited offenses. Now, after those offenses um, and as a result of the ice Miller report, Idaho self-imposed a one game suspension on Don Verlin, in addition to some minor recruitment and and practice restrictions that relate to the um, offenses themselves. For example, the impermissible player evaluation was considered a recruitment infraction as part of why the sanctions related to recruitment. Then on June 14th, now this is after about two weeks of radio silence, because remember the initial uh, administrative leave took place on May, May 24th. On June 14th at 4.30 p.m. Pacific time, Friday, the definition of a Friday, Friday news dump, University of Idaho fired Don Verlin for cause. Zach Kloss was named the interim head coach. Uh, this was a little bit odd uh, for some because Claus, of our three assistant coaches, is the only one without Division I head coaching experience, though he does have pretty extensive Division I assistant coaching experience. And since the June 14th, uh, firing of Don Verlin, two freshmen, uh, most notably Jared Rodriguez, but also Raekwondus Mitchell, have entered into the transfer portal. And according to Larry Weir, the Eastern Washington play-by-play -play announcer, on his podcast, he has stated that there are rumors that other players are likely going to enter the transfer portal from Idaho, but 
Uh, he has not said who those people are. And because no one is truly, no one other than Rodriguez and Mitchell has entered, we can't comment on those. So with that as our backdrop, Alex, tell me how you feel about this. What does this mean to you? Um, you know, I knew Don personally uh, at Idaho. He'd always been a good family friend. Um, and it's sad to see him go in the, in the way it happened. Um, you know, I understand these are NCAA violations, um, but a good way to kind of describe it is he got caught jaywalking and then went to jail for five years. Um, the NCAA will probably end up coming back and just going, great, thanks for the self-reporting, and we'll go at what your, whatever your self-imposed sanctions are. That's what's probably going to be our punishment. Um, it would have been nothing major. And there's a lot more worse NCAA rules broken on a day-to-day basis um, than forgetting to fill out a form improperly or having a, uh, a you know, director of basketball operations um, walk around with a whistle near his mouth um, or stand there in a pregame warm-up. Um, you know, this is now a very tumultuous time for Idaho athletics. It already has been because um, of what has transpired over the last year and a half. Uh, this is kind of a general reset button that the uh, athletic department as a whole is now is now having. Um, I think short term, I think this is actually going to be pretty. Um, it might hurt uh, Vandal basketball, and it might hurt Vandal athletics in the short term. Um, this is something that I know has not really kind of been reported or talked about, and isn't out there, and it's kind of more behind the scenes. But I do know of quite a few um, boosters who donate quite a bit about money um, to the basketball program that are not happy with this, that are extremely upset. People who have donated to the arena a lot amount of, a lot amount of money, and they are planning on possibly pulling their donations and their funds from U of I. Um, these are the people who help fund summer school for, you know, for um, Vandal basketball. These people who donate tens of thousands of dollars every year, make major gifts every year and they are not happy with how Don Vern was treated. Um, you know, I know he might not have, people might not have been his biggest fan. And, you know, I know if he was going to get fired for a bad year of coaching, and that's one thing. But this basically now hurts him in, in the future trying to, get a, trying to get a job. He is now labeled as a coach who was fired for cause for NCAA sanctions. And as you know, that can come back and hurt you um, many years down the road. And my, compared to getting fired for having a bad season, you can rebound from that. That happens. Um, I don't know kind of what the next step is from here. Um, I do know that this was happened on President Staben's last day as president. This decision, I hear, came up much higher than the interim AD. And this is kind of a real interesting situation that has transpired over the last two weeks. So and a question I have for you, Alex, also without, without revealing information like that you, you're not okay revealing, like when you reference yeah. the stuff with boosters, like now I'm presuming this isn't coming like 15th party when you say that, like this is like, this you, is, you, have, you have talked to individuals who you don't have to name them. You, you've received yeah, or directly. I know, or I know people who talk to people quite a bit. Um, and this is, they're not happy. This is, you know, um, similar situation. I know it's, they're not happy with 
other near the same kind of people who are not happy with the way President Staten was running the university. That's and these are the kind of people who are donate a lot of money to fund athletics at Idaho. You know, Alex, a lot of what you said, um, I, I think it's in some ways it's inarguable. Uh, you know, first with play, people like coaches, uh, people like players, and by the way, please let me know because uh, you you have background as a player as well, which is different from a lot yeah. of people who contribute. It's pretty easy for fans who really do want the team to win, who really are committed, who really do put money into the program, whether it's at the donate, whether it's people who donate or whether it's people who take their family to games. Um, it is easy for. I think people to forget that even though a guy like Don Verlin, or if we're talking football, even, even if we're talking about coach Paul Petrino and maybe the ways we wish the football program were, were different. It's easy to forget that those are people too. And Verlin, mm-hmm. I can't imagine anyone in the world being fired for a technicality and not, and not feeling like that was one of the most preposterous things that could have happened regardless um, to a person right. around with like, let's say it was a teacher who got fired for they, and by the way, this, this actually might be analogous. Um, you know, let's say a teacher submits their syllabus a day late, their syllabus is submitted, but they submitted a day late or they have the wrong suicide hotline attached to the syllabus. Yeah. And they're terminated. That's what this felt like to me. And that was part of why my initial reaction, even though I've been on this podcast critical of the basketball product from the, especially this last season, when I heard the news, I thought this was lunacy. Yes. You know, I mean, in this, in this business, it's a performance. Um, it's a result-based business at any level. Um, and I, like you said, people forget at the end of the day that, um, you know, their, their co- coaches and players are husbands, they're, you know, daughters, their sons, um, their dads, their moms. Um, you know, we, there's a personal life and there's there's personal things outside of it and how much work actually goes into it. Like, I wish I could tell you right now what I know football was doing. I'm not there, but I know exactly what they're going through. You know, they're at the gym four days a week, at least for an hour and a half to two hours working out. They're throwing, they're doing early morning stuff. You know, they're putting that kind of work in and basketball does the same kind of things. So people forget the amount of work that goes in. So it's, it's sad to see someone who has given 10 years of their life, you know, to, to the university of Idaho, um, to Vandal basketball and, you know, talking to Sean, you know, Sean said this program was in complete disarray <laughs> in the early two thousands when he took over 10 years ago in the mid two thousands when he took over, um, George Pfeiffer, the back end of Leonard Perry, nothing was going well. You know, I know people kind of always criticize Don um, for never being able to get his team to an NCAA tournament. Now, the multiple great opportunities. That was kind of the one thing that he always kind of lacked was a conference championship. But, you know, he's still the winningest Idaho coach ever. He did finish with a 500 record or above. And sometimes at, at Idaho, just to be even consistently competing um, at a school this size, to be consistently competing um, continually for 10 years, I mean – Minus a year or two, we were continually in the conversation for one of the better teams in our conference every year. Um, so I will give Don props for that. Granted, I do not – I think, you know, it might be just time for a reset. Um, as much – same situation with, with Rob and Rob Spear, Dr. Spear getting fired. Um, you know, I knew Dr. Spear personally. He's a family friend. Um, I think he could do – I think he did great things for U of I. Um, but, you know, 
it's sometimes it's not bad just to get a reset and a fresh start. I do. I agree with Sean that someone can stay at a place for too long and you know, it sucks to see um, him go on a technicality. Uh, that's it's the manner in which it happened was not very professional um, by the U of I, because I know we'll get into this later, but if I'm a coach potential hire and I go, this is how, this is how I'm treated. This is how I, this is how I potentially could be treated by my employer it can that can kind of make you not want to be not want to be there um i think that could have some effect too and you know not to make an excuse for violating ncaa uh, rules but there are so many ncaa rules they are just an insane amount and that's why you have a compliance person that's the point is your compliance person you know the coaches go through training and they go they're supposed to know the rule book but there are just so many rules with regards to recruiting practice time um gym time lifting time you know there's just so much stuff that goes into it that that's why you're supposed to have a compliance person be like hey this happened wrong we're doing this wrong okay great we're learning we're learning from it we know not to do that again and i feel like that whole step was just kind of skipped it went from being something that should have been a slap on the wrist to basically saying you know um you're going to jail you're done yeah there's there's a lot to get to there and the first thing i want to go over is the program he inherited. Um, I, I brought this up the fir- in the first podcast I recorded, uh, but the three years preceding 2008, uh, 2008, 2009 was Don Verlin's first season at Idaho. Mm-hmm. Uh, from 2005 to 2008, those three teams combined for 16 total wins and seven total conference wins in three years ridiculous and to go back further. So like, if your next question is, okay, well, I mean, it was awful for a few seasons, but you know, Ver- Verlin got them to 500. Maybe that's not that great an accomplishment. Verlin's first year, 2008, 2009, Idaho goes 17 and 16. The last, the last winning season we'd had prior to Don Verlin was 1998, 1999. David Farrar. Was that a, okay. That's, yeah, back when we were in the 10 West. years. It took 10 years yeah. to have a winning season at Idaho. It didn't seem possible. You know, and, you know, Verlin brought in that Stu Moral type system from Utah State that he had learned from and inherited from. Um, yeah, it was great, you know. But, yeah, like Sean kind of pointed out, and, you know, it's a performance, you know, he just kind of lacked that one signature thing. The, there was a honeymoon phase that lasted quite a few years and it was over. You know, um, we should have won a conference title in there somewhere. And it's hard to say that we didn't, but he did such great things for inherited a terrible program. And, you know, it's, it's a hard business to, to deal with and to turn around like that at Idaho. I'm interested to see, you know, how we turn around from this point. Yeah, before we get to turn around to one thing I want to go over, and I think this is another thing that just exists in the world of sports right now. Uh, it was amplified with the Philadelphia 76ers, you know, and their their famous process. Um, right. We hear this in the NFL. If you listen to any sort of NFL media, you hear this in the NBA, that if your team isn't winning a championship, you the team should be bottoming out. And I think a ton of people miss how big a deal it is for those programs to remain respectable and remain solid while trying to build to that next step. So if you're talking about University of Idaho, 
how many how many bottoming out years do we have to have? You know, how if you're a person like me, like my goal with the University of Idaho, football and basketball, obviously I want us to win as many games as possible, but like my big deal is I want the games to be events. Like the right. the Montana football game we had last year, that game was an event. The Washington mm-hmm. State University of Idaho basketball game, not this last season, but the season before when we beat them by 30 and had about 85% <laughs> capacity. Right. That was an event. And I want as a fan to have as many of those events as possible so that going to the games is special. And yes, you want your team to win, duh. But you, no one in the world will tell you, yeah, my undefeated team with five fans is great to go watch and see. Um, and right. if you, if your team is bottoming out uh, like we were for a long time, it's hard to attract talent on the floor. And it's also yes. hard to have competent coaches look at the, look at the job as anything but a career dead end. And now the a short term problem I think we have invented for ourselves is, is this job a dead ender? No, because Verlin showed that the teams, you can get some solid teams here. He had, I believe six winning seasons out of his 11, uh, six of his seasons out of 11 are winning seasons. But now we do have thing you referenced of if you go to Idaho, if you don't do well because they don't have money, like are they going to, is the administration going to invent an, a technicality um, to get rid of me? Cause also in terms yes. of money, I don't, I would not be shocked at all if this Don Verlin story drags on because you know it turns into a version of a lawsuit you know because mm-hmm. according to spokesman review verlin also told the administration he was open to a buyout if they if the administration felt that hey look we've seen the top of mount verlin and uh, you know being solid but not winning championships is what the administration thinks he he was open to a buyout and then you know, loss, he ends up losing his job. So short term, I am really concerned about what this will look like for the next coach because a program like Idaho only has so much margin for error when you haven't been to the NCAA tournament since 1990. You don't have this. You're not University of Montana where you can say, yeah, we've been to the tournament, you know, two of the last three years from the big sky you, you go, come into Dahlberg Arena, you can see the banners from how many good, right. how many championship seasons we had. You can be the next person to hang a banner. University of Idaho men's basketball doesn't have that. We don't have the ability to shoot ourselves in the foot and throw away some of the stability we had. Um, and the other right. small, the other, the other immediate problem that we have, um, we had two freshmen last year who looked like future all big sky players. Now Cam Tyson transferred to Houston and I will never hold that against a guy who transfers up. Houston is a significantly stronger program than university of Idaho. It's coached by Kelvin Sampson, who has both a power five and NBA pedigree NBA as an assistant. Um, That's a top 12 team last year that went to an elite eight. Yeah. I will never hold that against any player who transfers like that. Um, so we, I wish Cameron Tyson the best, but we, there's one of our guys who looked like future all big sky players out the window. We still have one that we were keeping Jared Rodriguez, who at a six, as a six, eight, um, you know, combo forward as in he can, mm-hmm. he has a lot of wing skills, but if he, if he's matched up against a smaller guy, he can post. He was also our second leading rebounder, I believe. 
he looked right. like a real building block. He looked like maybe our next Steven Madison, you know, guy who, when he's a junior and senior, is putting up 20 or so points a game. Mm-hmm. He's in the transfer portal now, and it looks like he's in the transfer portal because of what happened with Verlin. There's a couple guys that have, have announced um, since this decision that they are going to be leaving Idaho. And, you know, it's tough because, and this is where I think is a fundamental issue with the NCAA is that, you know, people say you signed to a school, you signed to a coach, you signed to coaches. Um, I think that's something you'll eventually see someday in NCAA transfer policy. This is kind of off topic, but when a coach leaves, is fired or something like that, that a player will be able to transfer uh, without penalty someday. I think that's kind of something that's going to happen. Because these are the pe- these are the coaches that come into your homes. They come into, you know, these kids' homes. They tell their parents. They tell the kid they promise them they're going to take care of them. And so when you have a coach um, who, you know, went into this home, said, told this, told this kid's parents, told this kid that I'm going to take care of you, and then they get fired, sometimes there's a little more loyalty to the coach than there is to the program. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if you even see more exits. And that's just me speculating. That's not anything I've heard or any inside information that I've, that I have. Um, but you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. It wouldn't shock me, um, if that happened again. Well, I mean, look at it for a guy like, like Jared Rodriguez, you know, he redshirted. Um, so he had Verlin for two years. We have, because of how late in the, you know, in the spring slash summer this took place, we didn't really have a choice but to hire an interim coach. And I hope Zach Claus does great, but an interim coach, it sounds to, if I'm a player, what that sounds like is, okay, so I committed to a coach and then I get this gap year and then I have another guy who I have no idea who he is. So in three years, I get three coaches, none, two of them, two of them, I have no idea who they are. And also with, even with the new coach, you know, if you're Jared Rodriguez, you're a junior when that guy shows up and mm-hmm. Rodriguez has already burned his red shirt year. He doesn't have a chance to say, right. okay, well, if, it, if there's a problem with this guy or he has his, you know, his players coming in and this uh, system I, I committed to isn't going to work out anymore. Rodriguez, a guy like Jared Rodriguez, he doesn't have the ability. Uh, well, actually, what he, what he can do is he can rush through his um, his studies and try to leave as a grad transfer. Right. And I but can guarantee that it's not easy. Right. And again, like, you know, you were you went through the recruitment process. You know, can you imagine being sold on, hey, Alex, come to school. You'll have three coaches in your first four years. But if you absolutely slam through your studies while you're taking part in the rigorous practice and travel of, you know, a football for you or for, you know, like Jared Rodriguez, a basketball season. If you're able to slam through your studies during that, you may have the flexibility to choose where you want to be for one total season. Right. You know, um, yeah, it's crazy. That's, that's kind of the, and that's an NCAA issue. I think at its heart, um, you know, I, I, I do not blame anyone for ever wanting to leave or not or, you know, transfer to a different school or transfer or just give up the sport altogether. I've known plenty of guys who have transferred or given up the sport, whether it be football or basketball. And, you know, I always say I'd rather have guys who want to be there and want to contribute and, you know, have a passion to be there and want to play than have guys who maybe they have really ta- they're really talented, but they do not have any 
any type of, you know, desire to be there. And do you, people, these athletes, like you said, people forget that these are, these are still students. These are 18 to 22 year old kids for the most part. These are kids who get a lot of pressure put on them and they are, to, and they get away from home. All of, most of these kids, they're not like me. They didn't go 45 minutes from home. These kids are, you know, time zones away, thousands of miles away from home, hundreds of miles away from home. So to, to give your commit that much portion of your life, a very part, important part of your life to a program and a coach and then have it pulled out from underneath you. I will never in my life be like that kid should have stayed. That kid should have stayed, you know, Jared Rodriguez, you know, it's, it's tough for the Idaho program. And, you know, this is going to be interesting to see as they're moving forward in the coaching search, there's not our, our best player statistically um, is, you know, a, a, a to be senior. So this, this new coach coming in um, a year from now or whenever it's going to be um, is not going to have a lot of experience and time to work with. So it's going to be a hard sell um, to this, to this new coach to, to take that time, to take this opportunity to come to Idaho. Which to me, now just to put a button on the, the short-term portion of this, mm-hmm. that to me is why it's not just what I think of as a just preposterous firing with the rationale uh, because of mm-hmm. how, how minimal those violations are and how with at least um, – with at least one of the violations, the paperwork one, as I understand, like the spirit, the spirit of that violation, it was an absolute accident. Uh, right. With the, now with the, uh, the coach, the guy, uh, mom, the person who shouldn't, who is not a coach who took part in coaching activities. There was some reporting that Verlin Brooks mom, sorry, that's the, that's the man's name. Brooks yep. mom is no longer with the program. There was some reporting from the spokesman review that Verlin had been notified by a person named Jordan Hall, who is the UVI compliance director. And after being notified that uh, Brooks Malm should not be taking part in the activities he was doing, Verlin taped paper over the glass covering the gym during practices, which if that, if that's correct, which that was reported spokesman review, um, I would say, okay, the, the spirit of that violation is less innocuous than the, than the paperwork one. But it is still a, a pretty small thing. Like, is it really a competitive advantage for division one players to have non division one players take part in their practices and then separate if it took place in 2019 for those who paid attention by the end of the year, we were only dressing eight guys. So if, right. if the timeline included the end of last year, it may have been a real issue about having enough bodies who were, who were able to participate. So, so real quick to jump in. So when, as when Brooks mom was the director of basketball operations, director of player personnel, whatever that title was not a coaching role, not a on court coaching role. He was observed at practice carrying around a whistle and he, which then was reported as a violation. However, I have been told numerous times that coaches like Murphy, Kloss, early wine, Verlin would make, might forget a whistle. And so Brooks in that role his job was to carry a whistle around to practice to make sure that if one of them forgot a whistle, he had, they had a whistle. So that's an example of what they found. Another example, they were on a road in a pregame situation. They did not have enough bodies for a pregame walkthrough. He had Brooks stand in a spot on the court pregame to mimic a player, stand in a spot. 
There's another example. Brooke, if you ever watched Coach Verlin's system, it's a very deliberate half-court system with play cards. One of those play, there's two sets. One usually Murphy would do one, Mom would do Brooks or some other coach would do another one. One of those is live, one of those is a dummy. That was also a violation. From what I've been told, Don Verlin did not even know that was a violation for all that time. For as long as he'd been coaching, he had always had, uh, whether it be the director of basketball operations or someone else, do that, do that job. I think uh, Hel- Chris Helbin at one point was in that role. That's an example. These are examples of three violations. Stephen Madison, another violation. At the time, he has not yet completed his um, credits, I believe, to get his undergrad degree. So he came back, which allowed him to be on scholarship and, and become an gra- undergraduate assistant coach. Um, I guess sometimes he would play in a pickup game with get with guys and a coach might be around. And I guess that's considered a violation. These are examples of, th- these are examples of what I've been told specifically what violations were. We're talking about misfiled paperwork. You know, there might've been a more of intent in one of those with covering up windows. I don't know if that, I have not heard that until that, until that um, story came out um, from the spokesman. So um, I think it just kind of goes to show that there is a little more, um, I think the university wanted to fire Don for encore performance, but basically took a coward's way out situation and said, well, we're just going to fire you because we found these equivalent of spitting on a sidewalk violations, basically a misdemeanor ticket when he basically got convicted of a felony. That's exactly what happened. Um, I hope that kind of shed some light on the situation. Yeah, so we're circling back to what I was trying to get at is yeah. like two things. One, like with one of the, the violations, there was absolutely no intent whatsoever. Right. Uh, with the second violation, even if you read the most rigid version of, of purposeful violation, which I'm not saying that's what Verlin had as far as I understand and based off what you, right. just, you said, he certainly didn't uh, completely – do these things purposely with the spirit of violating a law, but let's pretend he did. Um, right. There was, there's almost no, th- there may not even be a competitive advantage and some of them may truly have been. And what you said about the whistle, I would completely understand that. Cause uh, you know, I taught, I've taught in public schools for seven years. Mm-hmm. I lose keys all the time. So what I end up doing is I, you know, I, I just turn it into something gigantic. So it's hard to lose. Mm-hmm. I could completely understand a guy who's moving around all the time, who is giving direct feedback in terms of being an educator. Coaches do that. They give in in the moment feedback all the time. Yeah, you lose a whistle. And to not have to completely stop practice to find your, your whistle, yeah, a guy holds it to you. That is su- – that's not even – there is no advantage to be gained. Correct. Um, and to me, when we look at this, you know, shifting over to big picture, in next season now, I have nothing negative to say about Coach Claus, and, no. and I hope he does so well that we decide that, hey, we don't even need a coaching search. We found our guy. I would love if that took place. But in this moment, it feels like there is no way to interpret next season other than being punted. And it feels like there is no way when we think about future, you know, a future coach. If Claus isn't just hitting a home run, it seems like there's no way that we have not just made this job worse in two senses. One, the thing we've talked about for a while of it will be fair 
for applicants to to have a little bit of hesitation about how their due process may or may not be treated. But also we're, we'll have two years likely of pretty rough performances. And part of that's self-inflicted because we've lost a couple players because of what we did with our coach. Right. You know, um, and I think this was mentioned earlier, it's interesting. You know, Coach Kloss is the least tenured coach um, on the current Idaho staff between Coach Tim Murphy and Coach um, Kirk Earlywine. They have both, those other two have been there for quite a few years. And they had – Murphy almost, I think, has been there since Don had – as long as Verlin had been there. Both of those guys have had head coaching experience. You remember Earlywine before Hayford was the head coach at Eastern. Um you know, eight years ago, he's head coach at Eastern Washington. And so the decision to, to uh, make coach Kloss the head coach and interim head coach, I find interesting. I am, um, you know, and like you said, I almost feel like this year is punted. However, we're talking long-term here. One thing I think that is lost in all of this is that this new head coach, whoever it is in his second year, if I'm thinking right, his second season, he will get a brand new $50 million arena to recruit to, to open to. And that's one big selling point. Coaches love to show off and recruiting things. Everyone loves shiny new things. This is a big shiny new thing in recruiting a head coach and in recruiting future players. So I hope whoever it is, like you said, if it's Coach Claus, because the, the interesting thing is is recruiting is is how do you recruit this year, do you just not evaluate any talent? You know, do Coach Early One, Coach Claus, and Coach Murphy just put a stop on evaluating talent this whole year? Because that's something that goes on year long. They're out this time of year. You know, they're out recruiting. Um, if you pay attention to Colton Clark's Twitter feed, you are seeing football players being offered scholarships right now for at U of I. That same kind of thing happens in basketball. Just sometimes it gets less reported on it. Scholarships are, are offered, and guys commit year-round. So does that now just have a complete stop and hold on it with an interim coach for a whole year? I don't know. I don't know how that works. I guess you probably just, you know, start, you know, and this is going to be up to a new athletic director um, whenever that takes place, whenever, the, you know, when President Green takes effect, um, his new – his tenure takes effect July one. A new athletic director, I think, will be hired um, sometime. A permanent athletic director will be hired sometime here um, in the next couple months. So that's up to them to decide how to how to uh, go forward. And honestly, I could not tell you um, what's going to happen. I have no clue. You know, that's going to be up to the new athletic director, whoever that is. You know, but like you know, talking about long term, I think this this whole year is basically now just wasted. In terms of you, that's basically what you're telling everyone. You're telling these players, you're telling boosters, you're telling fans, you're telling the world, <laughs> you know, that hey, yeah, we're just going to kind of we're going to play our games this year, but we're not really going to like don't expect much. That's what's just happened. Yeah, and you know, mixed with that, one of the things that is just wild um, about how this roster looks in comparison to last year. Now, part of this just happened because, you know, some of the freshmen who transferred at the end of last season, it was probably the right choice for them to transfer because other than Cameron Tyson and now Jared Rodriguez's name is in 
Um, a lot of the guys who transferred, I don't, I didn't think we lost a lot of all big sky talent. Um, but just last year, we were a real young team. This mm-hmm. next year, we're actually a pretty, pretty old team. Right. We have uh, returning. We have Trayvon Allen and Markel Frazier are going to be seniors. Other than that, we have because a ton of our roster has been filled out with junior college guys. We have a ton of juniors on the team, juniors who are new to Division One competition, which doesn't mean that they'll necessarily struggle because if they're good, they're good. But the next coach that comes in, he isn't – it's not just that he will have a compressed timeline because he's new, um, you know, and versus like, you know, if Verlin knows he'll be there next year, he can recruit throughout the year like you talked about he will be coming in with a gigantic class of guys who are going to graduate. Uh, So there will be a lot of spots to fill, which is that's part of my reservation about how this happened and how I know money is an issue, but I really wish we could have found a way to have Verlin be around for another year because even I had, I had real critiques of how Verlin used his talent this last year. Right. But I do believe we had a decade of look, Verlin's not a bad coach. He's made some decisions that I wish he didn't make, but he was a baseline of stability that you can recruit from. And then, you know, we had that new, that new arena coming in anyway. So if we have a new coach coming in with the new arena, we don't have a self-inflicted gunshot wound of, Oh yeah. And we just threw away a year. It could be, look, we, we had a rough year. We brought in a bunch of talent and we stabilized. He doesn't need to win the big sky to continually make this, a solid looking program. And the comparison I want to draw is like Montana state, you know, Montana state made a pretty tough decision. I think in, they chose not to renew Brian Fish's contract. And the reason I say it's tough is two things. One, um, he, Brian Fish had not been awful at Montana state, but two, Brian Fish, his daughter died during the year. So it was essentially like the worst coaching year that could possibly happen. Right. Um, and I, I would completely understand um, an administration, wanting to give like a one-year offer, you know, in that situation, you know, maybe that's not the best, the best choice, but it wouldn't floor me if, you know, an admin thought, you know, like fish wasn't a bad coach and he just had a pretty stable year in the midst of like the worst year of his life. So yeah, we'll give it one more shot, Mm -hmm. but there's a baseline of stability that the new coach Danny Sprinkle gets to draw from because even though fish isn't coming back, it was a, it was a process between both the coach and the administration where there was an antagonism, there wasn't a problem. It was just, look, the admin chose not to bring him back. He got, he got to respect the decision. So now we bring in the next guy and now we have the next era starting. Whereas with how things happened here, um, it's just, it's ugly. And I'm, I am concerned that this could, we have some real positives in this program with that new arena coming and with the baseline of success for a decade or baseline mm-hmm. of stability, at least we had for a decade with Verlin that this is a much, this should have been a much more attractive job for the next coach than it was when we got Verlin. And I think we just made it less attractive than it needed to be. Right. You know, and I, one reason I criticized this decision, I think, you know, the stability, but, um, this decision was made um, by an outgoing administration. You know, imagine, imagine, you know, like 
when pre- after when, after Trump got elected in 2016, and Obama, you know, those last three months, it's called lame duck. This decision was made by a lame duck, a lame duck university president, uh, and his inner circle. Um, this is a decision that should have been left um, for the next the next group, whoever whoever that is. You know, we know it's President Scott Green. We don't do not know who the next um, athletic director will be. I do have a strong sense that it's probably not going to be Pete Isaacson um, from everything that I've kind of rumblings that I've heard. So this decision, you know, let, let like leave it alone. Let the new administration decide. Maybe they decide, Hey, we're going to do a trial year of see how he does performance wise. If it's another bad year performance, then let them make that decision based off performance just for the, to keep stability, to keep continuity, we just completely lost all of that with this decision. That's one of the reasons I actually heavily criticized this, this decision was because, sure, you know, of everything that was done by it, you know, how the violations, but I mainly criticized this because of who made this decision. And I know some might, might rub people the wrong way, um, but Chuck Staben was not liked by many people within athletics or many, within the athletic community at Idaho, not, not saying coaches or play, but I know a lot of players did not like him. Um, that was, uh, always kind of a running joke. Um, our fantasy football pro team that our fantasy football league that was, that we made, that I made, that we always kind of made fun of, um, we always kind of express our anger towards Chuck Staben. That was always like 15 of us players that would play together. Um, our intramural team names are always, so there's not a lot of love lost, I think by players in that regard or boosters or maybe even coaches. I can't speak on the coaches part. Um, so this decision was made by by people that have shown bad decision making processes within athletics, and that's one reason I mainly criticize this decision. Um, you know, if you're going to do it, do it off performance base. I completely understand that, but come on, that's not that's not what this was. The way they went about it was not was not great. So the the next administration, whoever it is, is going to have tr- trouble trying to convince someone to come here in that sense, because like you said, the stability is not there anymore. We basically just wiped it all away. Yeah. And uh, man, even with the timing, there's, so there's two couple things here. I, I don't want to go completely down the Chuck right. Saban rabbit hole yeah. because what that really means is, Hey, we need to talk about the big sky for two hours. Correct. Um, Which but, I can do, but not the time or place. Yeah. But <laughs> so generally speaking, I have been different than um, some of the people who've been on the show, other people I've talked to in that, I didn't have a knee jerk or knee jerk might be too harsh term. Um, I didn't have the same level of antagonism towards Chuck Staben um, for a lot of issues that many people had. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily call myself a Chuck Staben defender. I'm mostly, I, I really need to go issue by issue with what you're talking about. Right. This instance, if this is Staben making the decision and like Scott Green's not involved. And I, I, the reason I say that is because I have the, the spokesman review just made it clear that Green was aware, but also Green wasn't the president. He didn't have decision-making powers at that point. Correct. If this was, if this was a Chuck Staben on his own decision, it's indefensible. Yeah. Even if you think there kind of was cause it's indefensible because if there's cause there'll be cause the day Green takes over. And the people who have autonomy over this university in the years coming forward should have the ability to make that decision. 
Correct. So if this truly, if this truly came from Staben, um, I, I, you won't hear any defense out of me. Um, I, I thought it was pretty bad. Uh, Larry Weir from Eastern Washington, he's their play-by-play announcer. He has speculated that it sounds like there was, according to him, there was there were rumors that because uh, Verlin was what you'd call, let's say, a Rob, uh, Rob Spear backer, or that Verlin did not like what happened with Rob Spear, that uh, there was some antagonism between Chuck Staben and Verlin because of that. If that's true... And if this even had 0.0001% of an influence on the ultimate decision, again, this is indefensible. Um, it should have been a product on the court, dis- considering the violations and considering like the independent review said, yeah, suspend him for a game. That's- Verlin was fine. Verlin didn't go on the record saying that a one-game suspension was awful. You know, Verlin right. was okay with the recommended sanctions. If anything other than on-court performance, to me, came into the fact into the decision mm-hmm. there was there was no salvaging it uh, it mm-hmm. should have been a non-court decision based off those based off what happened and um, you know I guess bigger picture now I do agree with some of what you said and now uh, listeners won't hear because we, we had to have Sean cut out one of Sean's points is he thinks um, you know we said there it is possible that a good coach and Verlin was the right hire at the time Correct. based off how he performed there are times when it's time for a coach to move on from a, from a spot. We see this both in professional sports and, and in college sports. Um, sometimes there are coaches who are great at taking nothing and turning, into, turning it into something solid. Sometimes there are coaches who, for one reason or another, a change of scenery works for everyone. I don't know if Verlin is the example of you know, what I'd call a Scott Skiles kind of coach, where he is great at maximizing low talent teams, but he's not great at capitalizing with higher talent talent teams. I don't know if that's the exact uh, the exact bracket to put Don Verlin in, um, but I do think we were approaching you know the time where we would say maybe we should look at we should probably look at a new coach. You know, if you look at Verlin's tenure, he he did split his seasons pretty close of being five hundred sub five hundred. You know, we, his best run, um, he had, we had three straight winning seasons from 2015 through 2018, 21 wins, 19 wins, 22 wins. Um, you know, then we had last year's abomination with five wins, but, uh, preceding that three year run, what we had was 500 sub 500, 500, 500, sub 500, sub 500, sub 500. Um, so I feel like we did, you know, we did get the Verlin experience. He is solid. He was able to give us a good, a, a, a respectable program, and he gave us some great moments, but it was right. time to move on. What, what do you say? You know, um, kind of touching back, pulling back a little bit to what you said, and I think I'll, we'll say, I'll say my piece and I'll leave it there. In regards to speculation that um, Verlin was a spear guy, and, um, and that's kind of one of the reasons. I can tell you a lot of coaches and a lot of athletes – or Rob Spear supporters. Um, I, I do know that Staben went after Spear because of actions that boosters took to get Staben fired, which only got both of them, you know, fired. Um, I do know that a lot of coaches, like I said, were Spear supporters. However, little known, Don and Rob Spear, Don Verlin and Rob Spear did not maybe have the best, weren't like the best of friends, but it was a great, prof- it was a professional relationship. 
Um, look at when this, I just kind of want to pull it to look at when the timeline of everything. This was announced Friday news dump. It was announced the last day that Staben was president of the university. These, the, the university was aware of these violations happened back in the fall. Why was he only now suspended in late May after Staben had already had his contract not renewed by the state board of education while new president has already been hired? Why, why was this happened? Why did this happen now? And again, I pull it back to this happened above interim direct AD Pedicson's head, but it happened below the state board's head. And there's only a couple people in between, in between those. Um, you know, I do think we got the finished Don Verlin. That was the finished product of Don Verlin. And, you know, I think he just lacked that signature, um, you know, championship. And, you know, it, I think I agree with Sean. I think it is time. It was time to maybe move on. Um, on a professional way, in a professional manner, but that's what that did not happen. Um, I do think, uh, you know, there is building blocks there, um, hopefully. And I think that was about the, the, what we saw at Don Verlin. He provided you stability, consistency, but never the big wow for the most part. And I do agree. Maybe it's time to make, it's a good time athletic department wide to hold kind of set of, to hit a big reset button. The university hit a reset button. The athletic department, maybe it's a good whole time to just hit a reset button. Which that will, now that hopefully is a selling point uh, to potential coaches who may have the reservation that, look, the people affiliated with the decision aren't here. So, yeah, right. is it, hey, is, is that a fair question to ask? Yeah, of course. It happened. You know, Verlin did lose his job out of nowhere. And, you know, the selling point for the new administration will have to be. And this was not our decision and we would not have supported that. We would never do something like this to you. Right. And, you know, real quick, you said he was like, it was reported that Scott Green was made aware. As far as I, as yeah. way of, I've, I've taken that. And the way, the sense that I have is that he was told, Hey, this is what we're, he was basically said, Hey, I'm like, this is what's going to happen. And all he can do because he has no power is go, all right, you have the information more than I do, so and you're still in charge. So make you know make the decision based off of what you have. That's the way um, that I have seen that happen. Yeah. So one way to interpret that is um, whether or not the uh, president Green, incoming president Green, whether or not he would have agreed with that decision. It may have been a smart decision to just say nothing, right? Because in if he look, if he supported the decision, that looks bad. And if he didn't support the decision, there's additional antagonism, and the university looks even worse. So the only if if the guy is intelligent at all, the which I'm presuming he is because he got the job, there is there's no way for him to be able to publicly say anything about it because if he was against it, that's even more chaos. And if he was for it, we've already gone over. People don't like it. Right. So I, I we're just going to learn nothing or very little Correct. about whether there was any involvement with him whatsoever. And now partially because we're not going to learn that kind of stuff. I don't really want to spend time nope. speculating uh, about information we will never have access to. Right. Um, and, you know, unless we got, let's say President Green, come on the show. <laughs> we'll get you drunk. Say whatever you want. Um, but, you know, otherwise we're not going to be able to go. Right. That. But I do want to transition to. Um, one of the hashtag AskTATCs that relates specifically to Verlin. Right. Um, this is from from Martin, contributor to the show. 
what was your favorite Don Verlin moment or interaction from his tenure at Idaho? Um, you know, mine's a kid, so I've been an Idaho fan my whole life. I went to a good, probably at least three quarters of all uh, games he coached at home. Um, Got to pull it back to an Idaho beat Boise State there in the Cowan Spectrum. You know, that's a top one. Court storming, um, everyone going crazy. Um, that was a personal favorite. Kicking Wazoo's ass, another personal favorite of mine. Um, beat him by 30. Um, I think those are two moments that really stand out. Seeing the dome packed, seeing everything just going crazy. Um, yeah, that's, I think, that's probably my per- two of my personal favorites. It is hysterical to me that you picked the exact two moments from the exact two years that I would have landed on. The 2008-2009 when we, we beat Boise State. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was when Mac Hobson made first team all whack. Uh, when that program turned around and it felt like we may have something bigger on our hands than than we thought. Because um, I, I, was, I was at that game too. Yeah. And that was... I went to the games a little bit before Verlin was there. Yeah, I, I did too. No one went to the games. No one at all. And then we get, whether it was a sellout or whether it was like 98 or 95% capacity, when you're comparing to seven wins, seven conference wins in three years, it doesn't matter. That Boise State game was incredible. It's, again, indefensible. We don't regularly play Boise State now. But that was a huge win for me. I didn't get to go to that WSU game. We won by 30, but I watched it on TV at home. That was incredible to me. I loved that, the amount of fans, and I loved stomping the you know Power 5 neighbors we have. Mm-hmm. Um, another, another event I want to pull out, and this is more than just like a single game, is you know after the 2014-15 season, that was our first year in the Big Sky, um, Vic Sanders was a freshman on that team, mostly a catch-and-shoot guy. His next three years, it was just like watching Steven Madison develop in his three years. Yeah. When I first saw Steven Madison play, I've joked about this. I really don't mean this as a put-down whatsoever. The first time I saw him play was against University of Montana. And when I saw him play, I talked to my dad. We had no idea what the heck he was doing on the floor. <laughs> we had no idea how he had gotten the scholarship offer. And then he turned himself into just an – incredible player, mm-hmm. um, you know, an all whack player and Vic Sanders. It wasn't as dramatic to begin with, but he was, he was mostly a catch and shoot player on that 2014, 15 season by his junior and senior year. He was a complete player as in, he is a catch and shoot guy who had turned into a penetrator and a creator and a real, real strong finisher that no one there. I don't care what anyone says about watching Vic Sanders play. There's no evidence when he was a freshman that he was going to be able to become the type of finisher he became because he didn't have like a 40 inch vertical where he's no. going to be dunking over guys. He, he was a Kyrie Irving style finisher. He wasn't Perry on calendar. Was, you know, jump up there 40 inches over everyone. Exactly. Yeah. It was, it was touch. Uh, you know, it was layups. It was, it was contested shots because though he was quick, he, he'd be in the NBA if he had the North South speed, just blow by guys watching him and Steven Madison develop uh, were pro- are probably my two bigger um, events in the Verlin era that I, that I like the most. And I will probably remember that forever, especially the Steven Madison thing, man. It was, to me, it was incredible. His freshman year, he really just looked like a kind of tall guy, who wasn't that great an athlete, and then he turned into a strong wing player, which I, right. I didn't see that in the cards when I first saw him. Um, 
you know, kind of if you're talking general moment, things like that. I think back, um, Mac Hobson, you know, he transferred from Wazoo, son of Phil Hobson. Am I right there? You know, former Idaho, great. And it was that it was Verlin's first year there. And this was a team who had won, like you said, 16 games the previous three years. And I kind of, to kind of see that team, what he kind of built there that first year, that, that whole first year um, was just exciting. Um, there hadn't been a sense of optimism around, around Idaho basketball like that in over 10 years. So I think you might even, you could even categorize Verlin's first year as just a great moment of Vandal basketball in the last 20 years. Yeah, Mac Hobson is another guy, which that leads into our next question uh, from both Chris and Martin. Name your all Verlin team, uh, starting five, and if you can, sixth man. Do you, do you have yours, or would you like me to go first? You go ahead and go first. I have five. My sixth, I'm kind of wishy on, a little back and forth on. Okay. Um, so I'm going to go with the perimeter-oriented lineup. Uh, point guard, Mac Hobson. Right. Uh, no question. Um, that Yeah, he, he was another guy who... You know, his senior year, and this is the thing with him, his senior year, he he only made uh, third team all whack, um, which was, you know, quote unquote disappointing. But his first year, you know, um, he was a top five player in the conference in a conference where Paul George played. Um, that's pr- pretty damn good. <laughs> so we have, uh, I've got Mac Hobson. Um, I have Vic Sanders. I've got, no, I'll go with the three guard lineup. I'll probably say, Mike Scott. So we have really three guys who can handle the ball. Then as my four, Steven Madison and my five, Kyle Barone. And then off the bench, it's funny that uh, Jared Ledbetter's kind of aged pretty well as far as, sorry, Jeff, forgive me, forget, Uh, Jeff Ledbetter. Um, He's aged well, you know, he's still playing D-League. Yeah, still plays in the D-League. He's played in um, the tournament that is broadcast in the summer where like the winning team wins about a million dollars, something like that. Played in Mexico team hasn't won. some years. I know that. Yeah. He stayed around. He's still playing basketball. Yeah. So I guess mine would be Mike Scott, Mac Hobson, Vic Sanders, Steven Madison, Kyle Barone. And then, sorry, I got, it, it's a toss up between either BJ Blake or Jeff Ledbetter. Uh, BJ Blake. He was another guy who was fun to watch. Other than just coming from North Idaho College, which is where Mac Hobson came from, BJ Blake is another guy who in Verlin, who while playing with Verlin, there was a huge jump mm-hmm. from BJ Blake the junior to BJ Blake the first team All Big Sky senior. You know, um, and it, he was like, he was always a good athlete, but he really developed skill wise, uh, particularly his jump shot mm-hmm. from junior to senior year. He really took he took over games. There was times that you know Vic might be a little cold. Where other guys can be contributing, and you could put the ball in BJ's hand that last year, and he honestly could have been—I'd say—probably that team's most complete player. Um, to be able to have the jump shot that he did, and then also be able to play in the post the way he did, and grab rebounds and be physical—he um, was a special player. All right, I like it. All right, here's mine. We're going to go with another kind of small-oriented lineup. Um. We're gonna say I'm gonna say Matt Hobson. I'm gonna put Jeff Ledbetter there in the two. I don't think there has been a better catch and shoot player in Idaho that could excite crowds and change a game the way that Jeff Ledbetter could. It, it, he was that was a rare talent that he had. I'm gonna put Vic at the three. 
Um, even though he can play the one, play the two, he did sometimes play the three for Idaho. Um, he's a pretty tall guy. He's about 6'5". Um, Stephen Mass at the four, Calibron at the five. Um, now here at the, at the six, sixth man, I'm going to say Connor Hill. I don't think there was a better Idaho pl- player from the state of Idaho that we've had in our team in that long. And he had a special catch-and-shoot ability, but he also um, he could excite a crowd and get everyone going. So I'm going to say Connor Hill was the sixth man. Connor Hill is another guy, by the way, the pride of Post Falls, Connor Hill. Yes. Um, he is another guy who freshman uh, to senior year, and he contributed as a freshman. Mm-hmm. Um, he bulked up a ton. And mm-hmm. even though he didn't have, let's say, the stylistic change that Vic Sanders uh, was able to have, um, Connor Hill was another guy who was fun to watch. Uh, he looked like a guy who was obviously liked by his teammates. Um, and he was, you know, one of the, this is the thing that kills me about, I'm happy for Cam Tyson that he left uh, for him because he had a good opportunity. I would have loved to see Cam Tyson play four years. Oh man. It would have been great. You know, um, I would have loved to see his development because obviously Verlin has shown, that's one thing I think we're, we talk about the, the development of players and sure that's a, that's, you know, that takes a player, but it also takes coaches who know what they're doing and how to do continually develop players. I think that's one thing that Don and his staff were always really good at um, was developing um, young talent that we had because you knew when he's a freshman, look at the guys who contribute when they're young, Connor Hill, Kyle Barone, Stephen Madison, Nick Sanders. These are guys that contributed a lot as a freshman that ended up being on our top five, you know, starting five um, all-time Don Verlin team. So they showed a a knack for – definitely uh, be able to start um, building young talent and then helping it turn into something that it wasn't when it got there. And I'll say my all asterisk player mm-hmm. is Perion Calandre, who the injury, yeah, the injury to him. Yeah. Yeah. That definitely um, took a toll um, on Perion. Cause I think that was another talent that could have been something real, real special. And he was real special. So that was sad um, to see the way um, that injury affected him. All right, so our our next ask, ask TATCs, they're kind of batched, and I want to just batch them so, so we can address the points as it makes sense. Um, Shannon Kelly asked, what should each of – who would each of you choose for a new coach if you could pick anyone, realistic or not? Martin asked, what kind of candidates should – Fans expect to, to see linked with the job, an assistant coach, a head coach, another job, or John Newley. Um, and Chris asked, do you expect a salary drop for the next coach with the loss of athletics revenue and the current deficit? So I'll, Alex, I'll let you launch from wherever you want on any of those three points. Salary, a favorite candidate for you, or what kind of candidate? Okay. So – I actually, the other day, the other night, I was talking with someone, had a long conversation about kind of potential um, potential candidates for this job and who I might like to see in this job. Um, kind of came up with about four different names that I like. One of those, a former, a former name, that, a former assistant coach at Idaho, former head coach in experience, Ray Lopes. You know, he's a coach at Fresno State, head coach there, moved to Idaho, went to Wazoo, 
That's a guy. Cameron Dollar, former Seattle U head coach, is back at UW as an assistant. That's where he started out at. Um, Jim uh, Jim Hayford, uh, currently head coach at Seattle U, but he was at Eastern. And if you're talking about a potential salary, I think if you could find the salary in there to maybe bump up his his salary from Seattle U, that's something you could pull away. And then another name that I had kind of someone who could be interested in this job, um, younger, um, has shown an ability to win at a smaller level, um, but definitely someone more familiar um, with the area. Colby Blaine, the head coach at College of Idaho. That's a team that has been the top five team in, in NAI basketball the last few years. So that's kind of a good way to start out, I think. You also answered uh, part of, part of I believe, Martin's question of what kind of candidates do you expect uh, to see linked with the job? And uh, you went over uh, really what I would go over to, which is um, some people, some some assistant coaches who are looking to make their first big jump or in the Cameron Dollar example, a guy looking f- uh, to reset his career. Right. And, and also um, head coaches at lower level colleges. Uh, I'm talking about enrollment. Uh, that's not a, yeah. a qualitative comment. Um, guy head coaches who've had success at lower level colleges. And I think the, the applicant pool is going to look pretty similar for us um, as it did for Montana state, which is, you know, similar candidates as you referenced uh, the ones I want to pay the one big name, actually two names that I'll, I want to piggyback on top of the ones you brought up. Um, Jared Fay, he recently joined Ryan Looney's Idaho state staff. Uh, Jared Fay is the former North Idaho College junior college head coach. Mm-hmm. For, then he moved to College of Idaho, College of Southern Idaho CSI, the other right. big junior college program in Idaho. Faye was great at both. Um, it was a step up uh, to go from NIC to CSI, particularly because um, NIC changed classification. Uh, but Jared Faye accepted an Idaho State job, and the reason I reference that is that means he's willing to. Uh, he chose to move out of the junior college ranking. Um, so he, he seems like a name that should be in play. Uh, also Corey Simon at NIC and he took over the program Jared Fay had running and now NIC um, they're, they're incredible. You know, they've, mm-hmm. they had a guy, um, I think his name's like Raquan Evans or something like that. He's from Montana was not recruited. His father was a great uh, university of Montana player, but he's going to Florida state now. Okay. Um, both of those guys, both of those guys are great um, in terms of their background with recruitment of mm-hmm. getting people, especially at the junior college level, to come to middle of nowhere as far as those players are concerned because they're they didn't recruit a bunch of local guys because the the local guys weren't there for their programs. Right. Um, but if you're looking at potential junior college guys, Jared Fay and Corey Simon, I think we you could do a lot worse than handing the keys to guys like that. Definitely. Um, but I also think uh, Cameron Dollar is a really intriguing name uh, that you brought up. Uh, I just hadn't considered him as a potential name, but uh, yeah, that, they'd be great to get a guy who has some Northwest connection. Uh, by the way, the one of the two important Northwest connections of Seattle or Portland Yes, uh, in terms of being able to get recruits. And there's a lot of talent um, now in Washington, Oregon State ba- high school basketball. Um, you know, I think talking about Jared Fay, it's an important year for him to learn 
you know, he, this is, he'll be back at a, at a division one school. So he'll get it back in that recruiting process again, which is different than junior college back in the different compliance issues. Um, so this might be, you know, a good stepping stone um, for him. Interesting candidate name that I would maybe. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, Cause I know when I saw him going to Idaho state, I know I was surprised just because I thought with how good he's been, if he's take if I mean he was an Idaho State finalist for the head coaching job mm-hmm. and then he took an assistant job there, uh, so we know for sure he's open. Uh, but you know we'll see. There'll be a national coaching search. Um, so at the very least, because we know we got time for it now, uh, I think fans should at the very least anticipate that we have an impressive looking pool uh, to to work from. Yeah, um, yeah, and you know the pool we came up from, you could do a lot worse. Yeah, than those six guys that we just came up with. You know, definitely, and I think it's going to be up to the new uh, athletic director, whoever that is, um, which I think that's the next big exciting hire this university has to make. Um, I know that's a different conversation, but you know that should be, from what I believe, should be decided sometime here before the fall starts. So I'm pretty excited about that. Which relates to the last part of those questions we haven't got to, which is the salary question. Um, and I want to, uh, this is something that I'm, I'm not quite clear on, you know. Uh, by the way, the question was, will we see our coach being paid less? Mm-hmm. Um, now, first off, we don't necessarily know if the money uh, that firing a guy for cause should clear up will actually be there. Because there may be a lawsuit, and lawsuits aren't free. Right. Uh, but second, uh, Verlin was... Based off of base salary, he was the highest paid coach in the Big Sky mm-hmm. at two hundred forty-five, or in between two forty-five, two hundred forty-six thousand a year. Now he was not the actual highest paid head coach in the Big Sky because Weber State's Randy Ray has this sweet deal where his base salary is two hundred thousand, but then his incentive is a guaranteed hundred fifty thousand. Um, so I'm not going to count Randy Ray right now in comparing the other salaries because Weber State has a different level of stability. You know, yeah, Ray has an eight-year contract. Uh, they're quite happy with what they get out of Ray. Ray's happy with what he gets out of Weber State. Utah college basketball other, is on a different level too than a, a lot of different states. The way they yeah, handle that, themselves, man. And there are yeah, that's other things that's different compared to some of the other big sky schools, man. Utah. There's a there's a lot of solid yes. Utah, uh, college. There's a lot of solid basketball teams in the state of Utah. Yes, um, Weber State maybe being the lowest uh, say, out of them. I'd say Southern Utah. Weber State's not bad. I'd say Southern Utah probably. It's probably about the worst one. Oh yeah, sorry. Let me let me specify of the teams that are good <laughs> yes. in the state of yeah. Utah. Even Utah Valley is not bad. They're, you know they're in the WAC. They're a pretty good program. You know they consistently push uh, push for one of the top spots in the WAC. That just shows you they, yeah. they all play in big arenas. They sell them out. So. I don't know what it is about basketball in that state, but yeah. So excluding him, kind of moving back to your point, excluding him. Yeah, the base, the base salary. If we don't talk about Randy Ray, but for Big Sky coaches, it varies between Ryan Looney at Idaho State. He has the lowest base salary of one hundred fifteen thousand a year. He's also a, this is his first year as a D one coach. That ranges up to and. <laughs> NAU, um, their head coach had a base salary. They have a new head coach who I don't know his name because their old coach, who was not actually any good, uh, took an associate head coach job at University of Arizona, yeah. um, which you know that's a like failing upward <laughs> step. So congrats yeah. to him. Uh, it's, it's like his last name is Murphy, but um, 
the very the salary base uh, it fluctuates from about 115 to around 185,000. You know, Travis DeCure at University of Montana, he just got a raise, uh, so his base salary is about 170, 180 in that range. I expect our salary to be similarly aligned, um, but I don't think I don't think Idaho can afford to go that much to, to really go much further down from where Verlin was. I mean, maybe they'll, maybe they go to a base of like 170 or something like that, depending on who the head coach is. But I can see around you know, being in the big sky, 160. Um, that would be about comparable depending on previous experience and things like that. And, you know, like, and also big sky contracts have a lot of incentives based right. in. whether it be a media payment. I know that's how we structure our contracts a lot. Um, like if you look at Paul Petrino's contract, it's like a $250,000 a year base salary. And then like a hundred, like $80,000 media payment. Um, that's just the way they structure contracts out. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a contract, you know, maybe a little less than Verlin's, but it's going to be depend on who they decide to be the, uh, it depends what kind of name they go after. And they identify, like I said, you know, if they want to go after someone like Jim Hayford from, from Seattle, U. They might have to offer similar kind of money, maybe even a little better. And that depends on what's available in the war chest, depending on, uh, you know, boosters and donor donations, and which we might see, like I said, might struggle here in this next year. Um, and that might kind of limit um, salary potential for a coach. Yeah. So I know that I will say, I certainly don't see us starting at the basement with the Idaho State right. 115 as our reference point. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't start at the, you know, 245 salary that Verlin was at. By the way, Verlin also worked up to that. Yeah. You know, he, he received raises to get up to that. Um, so it's a, ver, even if we start with lower salary, that doesn't mean we'll let the payout will be lower. So I guess to, to make it real simple, I expect we'll be, I wouldn't be forward for paying a little bit less than what Verlin had, but it's not going to be like we cut the Verlin payment in half. Right. Whereas like if you, like if we had this talk about Paul Petrino, which I'm not trying to move in that direction, Paul Petrino's base salary is significantly higher than most I think other big sky conference head coach salaries. I think he's like the top five highest paid head coach in FCS football, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. So now he also signs that as an FBS coach, Correct. which is part of why the money's there. But like if the next U of I football coach, I, I think we should expect the salary to be a little bit more in line with the rest of the conference. Correct. In basketball, our salary was already pretty much in line with the top third or so of the conference. And from a competitive standpoint, I want it to stay there. Yeah, you might see it stay there, maybe move back more to the middle instead of like top third, you know. Um, I would be surprised to see a little less, but like you said, that was worked up to through numerous years of, you know, hitting incentives and performance-based results. So, yeah. So, you know what? We're just in the place with Idaho sports. <laughs> We're going to see what the hell happens because right now there's just a ton of, we got a ton of questions and almost nowhere except out of state to look for answers. Exactly. Well, Alex, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Um, I want to give you a few seconds to, to give yourself and the kicking it podcast a plug. Um, any, anywhere, anything specifically you guys have coming up that our listeners should be looking for. Yeah. Um, you know, so me and Rico started kicking a podcast about a year ago. We've done about 23 episodes. It's been a little inconsistent recently between, um, 
we talk about mainly just general sports topics. Uh, we do have a NBA draft review, free agency preview coming up here. Sometime recorded sometime this week, hopefully. Um, I, you will probably see us talk a lot. You know, college football starts here in two months, two months and four days. First game of Miami versus Florida, April August twenty fourth. We'll be talking heavily about that. Fantasy football coming up too. Hard knocks. We love little hard knocks. Um, so all that good stuff with football coming up. Um, I will be a little bit more free to talk about Idaho football this year. Um, I kind of shied away from that last year, trying to at least, um, while still being a player. Um, I still do have a lot of friends there on the team. Might be trying to get some uh, interviews and things like that. So keep a lookout for the Kicking the Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. I know you guys retweet us a lot. So if you do follow Tubbs of the Club, just go back and look at their tweets and you'll find, a, find us on Twitter. Subscribe to us. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, most spot, uh, podcast platforms. Um, yeah, we have a good time doing it. And uh, we just listen to a couple washed-up, retired, former D1 athletes. That's all we are now. Um, Rico, a little bit more prestigious than I am, but uh, just listen to some athletes give their opinions on sports. And, and we love the partnership that uh, that we've built up here. You know, that I love being a guest on the show and talking a little bit more Idaho-specific topics with you guys than uh, I usually do with Rico. Yeah, well, it's good to have you on. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Good to have the inside perspective. And by the way, I, I don't just mean that from an Idaho player standpoint. I, I find it quite interesting. Um, you know, like circling back for a minute, then we'll, then we'll sign off. Um, you know, when we talked about the idea of people sometimes forget players and coaches are people. You know, right. it's cool to have. Um, you know, to have someone who live who got to live that not only as the player but as the player commenting on the same sport he was playing at the same time. Which I don't think there's an army of those people. There's around. not too many. Well, I gotta stay a little tight, tight-lipped. Right, so, Alex, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. I expect me. we'll hear from you definitely during football season. Most definitely, I hope so. Everyone, make sure to download our podcast, Subs of Club. Make sure to download the Taking It podcast. If you do that, you'll you'll know all there is to know about Idaho sports. Thanks for coming, and as always, go man.